Hello, and welcome to the Metaverse Conference Call with ARVR expert Amy Peck. All phone lines are muted. Before we begin, we'd like to remind everyone that members of the media and the press are not authorized to be on this call. If you're from the media or the press, please disconnect from the call now. The content presented on this conference call is proprietary to and or subject to the copyrights of Jeffries or third parties. Further, as a matter of legal compliance, we remind you that you must not attempt to elicit from any speaker at this event any material non-public information or other confidential information, and accordingly, the speaker may decline to respond to any questions in his or her sole discretion. You may not publish or otherwise publicly disclose the name of or otherwise identify the speakers unless Jeffries permits it in writing. By attending this event, you agree to all of these restrictions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Brent Till. Thanks, operator. Welcome to the Internet Download, our ongoing call series, bringing the best minds of the industry to your living room. I'm joined by uh, Andrew Urkowitz, uh, who covers uh, a number of the video game and entertainment names uh, as well on the call. So thanks, to Andrew, for, for co-hosting with me. Um, Amy uh, has been uh, the founder CEO with Endeavor VR. Uh, it's a leading global VRAR strategy and consulting firm since 2015. Uh, she's helped provide strategic consultancy and augmented virtual reality. Um, Amy, thanks so much uh, for sharing your perspective today. Um, maybe if, if you just uh, kick off just a little bit of your background, how, how did you get into this? Kind of what led to to your path and in, in, in going and uh, in, in, in building out uh, your your organization? Yeah, I um, I moved uh, to the Bay Area from New York in about 2013 to take a role at a company called Leap Motion, which was essentially, it looked like a, a tiny iPhone that plugged into your laptop that basically allowed for gesture recognition and so you could control your laptop using just your hands. And that actually coincided with the release of the very first Oculus DK1. This is pre-Facebook acquisition. And uh, our, our engineers and their infinite wisdom duct taped the leap motion to the front of this DK1. And you know, my job was to kind of understand what the enterprise applications for this gesture control would be. But then when I saw it combined with a virtual environment and actually being able to interact with 3D objects in a 3D space, that was kind of the, the, my aha moment. And I stayed with leap motion for about two years but they were very focused in those days on uh, really, you know, what was the the kind of consumer and the gaming market, and there wasn't a lot of interest and support in enterprise. But I, I, I recognized that there there were tremendous applications in enterprise, so I I jump off into what I call the abyss of consulting and started my own firm in in 2015, and I've worked with a number of uh, you know Fortune 500 companies as well as uh, a number of the hardware OEMs in the space. That's great. I mean, when you think about, um, I think most of us have kind of heard the term metasphere, but when Zuckerberg kicked off on the earnings call and really went into a lot of detail about this is kind of the next um, world that, that Facebook is, is moving to beyond the first world that they've created around social, um, you know, every, everyone's kind of been scratch, scratching their heads. What, is, what does this mean? Are they going to have to triple down on investments? How, 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 how does this play out? And I guess just when you think about the definition of the metaverse and ultimately what this looks and becomes, 
uh, you know, five years from now, maybe give us a sense of kind of what, what you think it looks like today and where we're, where we're headed five years out. Yeah, I think, you know, t today it's, it's, it's very much like in simple terms, it's very much just sort of an, an extension of the internet and, and kind of our, our mobile devices and, you know, moving into games and entertainment, um, you know, things like Fort, Fortnite, Roblox, uh, Minecraft, you know, you could you could argue that those are kind of an early version of their own uh, metaverse. And and you know, really, I look at it as this: it's a digital landscape, really. It's a digital realm where we will spend a good a good portion of our time. And I think the best indicator of what it will look like, we have to look backwards to uh, Second Life which was developed by Linden Labs, which was really sort of the first virtual world where there were, you know, we're sort of buying and trading of, of digital goods. And, and, you know, that was just too early. The technology wasn't there yet. We didn't really have enough bandwidth to be able to kind of play with these 3D assets the way, the way we can now. And so what's happened is, you know, all of the technology, the tangential technology that's required to make these digital worlds really interactive uh, and persistent have all kind of come together. And, you know, it's, it's not just bandwidth, but it's also kind of the advent of 5G, of, you know, cloud and edge infrastructure to enable these experiences to be delivered at scale. Uh, in these sort of multiplayer realms and environments. Uh, and then of course, blockchain is a, is a key component enabling the digital currency and digital goods. And so, you know, if you think about where we are today, you know, I think the, the promise of the metaverse is that it's this sort of the utopian version of our real lives and that we can really be anything, anyone, anywhere, and we can have a completely separate economy in this digital realm. And so you're already seeing that, you know, with gaming, we've been seeing, you know, in-app in purchases for some time, which is a, a tremendous market. But the digital economy of digital goods, as it kind of escapes from gaming and becomes ubiquitous, I mean, everything that we're buying today um, from land to fashion to, you know, these, sort of this NFT culture that's emerging. Um, it, the, the promise of this and, and the economics of this are enormous. And when you think about um, the comment that Zuckerberg made that it's going to be not just one vendor, it's going to be multiple vendors. Can you maybe put a finer point on what, what you think needs to happen for the ecosystem to create this new world? What, what are the pieces that have to be pulled together to, to really give that richness to make, make, this, uh, make, make this come together? You know, they're, they're out there now. I think it is true. We're, we're seeing these digital worlds emerge independently. And what we're going to see is, is if you look at on the gaming side, again, sort of the, you know, Minecraft and the Roblox and the Fortnites, uh, and then you look at what Facebook has built, which is Horizon. You look at uh, Microsoft's uh, acquired Altspace. There's VR Chat. Um, there's even Sansar, which is sort of a spin out of the original Linden Lab uh, that, that created Second Life. 
So these independent worlds are starting to emerge. And what the hope is, is that leveraging blockchain is that there will be a way, sort of a portal between these worlds that allows you to move from, from space to space. And that's kind of where NFTs will play a, a big role. So right now, you know, the, the benefit of having an NFT, if you, you know, if you have all of your, uh, you know, let's say your skins in one particular game, you can't necessarily move them from game to game. But what the gaming engines are building, including Unity and Unreal, will be this ability to have a, a portable identity and eventually the possibility to be able to move your digital assets from world to world. And so it really has to be you know, driven by the consumer, this, this desire to create portals between these worlds, because if they're, if they're just a series of disparate worlds, everybody is sort of fighting for a share of attention. And, and again, this, you know, the Neil Stevenson, the real promise of the metaverse is that it is sort of open and accessible, even though there will be these sort of smaller worlds inside the metaverse. Um, but, you know, it, in, in terms of, I think, what it means in, in capital markets, you're, you're going to see, you know, brands building um, their digital assets. You're going to see the gaming skins, not just the sort of primary markets, but lots of sub-markets. You're going to see the art world and, you know, music, entertainment. Those are all going to have their own space within the metaverse. And I use the example, if you took let's say Game of Thrones, and you basically created the entire series as a metaverse. So you could actually go through and experience every scene on your own and you could move throughout the story. Everything would happen in real time. And so if you think about that as a piece of entertainment, you would visit it multiple times. You wouldn't have to watch it as a linear series. It, it could be this sort of volumetric experience. And it's the same with um, concerts, which could be one-off, where you could go in and you could feel as if you were with you know, thousands of other people, or you could tune everyone out and be on stage with the artist. And that's kind of where the promise of, of the metaverse is in terms of entertainment. What's the biggest holdback right now? It's it's devices and it's accessibility and it's um, you know you have to have a headset. Now, granted, the Facebook headset is very inexpensive, but the still relative to gaming consoles, it's a, you know there's a small percentage of headsets out there, and and the headsets are a little bit tricky. They're not that simple to set up for everyone. Um, the, the next generation of wearables, I mean, Apple's been hinting at their wearable, Facebook's been hinting at their next generation, are going to have what's called pass-through video purportedly. Again, these are rumors, um, but it, it's, it's sort of the next evolution of VR where you're not completely immersed in an environment, that there is the ability to see the real world around you because um, you imagine now if you have a space in your home you have to have a clear area that's at least you know six feet by six feet 
you're flailing wildly, you can't see anything, you can imagine <laughs> the challenges that that's going to pose. Um, but as the wearables evolve, you will actually be able to, at first, at least see your environment. So the sort of safety factor improves. But then the next generation of mixed reality glasses, which you can already see in Magic Leap and uh, in HoloLens too, that is where it starts to get interesting because now digital goods and digital experiences can actually interact realistically with your environment. And that's sort of the, the holy grail um, where you're, you're sort of seamlessly interacting with digital experiences or digital objects. And there's context to uh, you know, where you are. So for example, Niantic acquired a company called 60AI. And what they created was an ability to, in a very lightweight way, uh, use the LiDAR scanner on your phone. You can actually scan your environment and it will create essentially a mesh of the environment. And then whatever game you're playing, if let's say a character you know, lands in your living room, it'll know that there's a table. And if it falls off the table, it'll bounce. If it runs behind the sofa, it'll disappear. And you know, if you look at Pokemon Go in the very early iteration of it, it was really just this sort of you know, digital landscape pasted over the real world. It didn't have any real interaction with the real world. So those kind of technological advances need to occur. Um, 5G needs to get better. Um, these are very heavyweight experiences. Um, the next generation of Apple headset, again, with this pass through, and they've also hinted at uh, a mixed reality device coming, you know, three to five years out, um, that will be powered by the phone initially, um, because the power required to run these experiences is, is, is really, really high, as well as the, you know, just sort of general compute and remote rendering needs to happen. And so that has to be delivered through some kind of edge mechanism. There are a handful of client questions, and again, Andrew and I can take your questions on uh, the chatbot on on the uh, on the portal, so you can ask questions there. Um, there was a question um, just around um, if you could give examples um, for enterprise. You know, there's been a lot of attention by Microsoft on 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 this. You know, can you can you just walk through uh, not not just for the consumers, but for the enterprise where you see the most exciting use cases uh, to be, you know, starting now, how, how this would look over time? Yeah, I think, you know, with, uh, with Microsoft in particular, um, it, you know, and, and Magic Leap has, has pivoted to uh, enterprise as well. You know, bo both of those, it, with process and, and training and remote assist, it's not necessarily vertical specific. It's more sort of horizontal uh, utility. So, uh, especially around sort of see what I see, um, and and you know, for example, on manufacturing lines, that's one of the number one use cases. Um, being able to take uh, training assets that you may have used in virtual environments, so you may have trained in VR, but then when you're actually physically on the line, uh, leveraging you know a Hololens device and being able to see an overlay of the piece of equipment that you are working on and then uh, instructions overlaid. And then if you really have a challenge or you need expert assistance, you're able to dial in and have uh, a remote expert 
see everything you're seeing. So, you know, that is one application. You take the evolution of that, that entire interaction gets recorded. It gets stored and tagged through a sort of a machine learning AI path. And then using computer vision, the next time any other, uh, you know, field technician is in front of that same issue, it will be recognized. And then instead of having to even go to the remote uh, um, expert live, they can play the recorded um, explanation that occurred with, uh, with, a, with a prior technician. And so it's sort of this, um, you know, self-improving sort of closed, closed, closed loop optimization um, that is common uh, on manufacturing lines today, but it adds this, um, this augmented reality or mixed reality component. And they're endless, you know, these, these types of use cases. I mean, from, you know, walking through commercial buildings or apartment buildings where you put on, uh, you know, HoloLens or Magic Leap and you can see, you know, many different iterations of your kitchen or your floor or your layout design, um, you know, for uh, any kind of rapid, rapid prototyping, even for, um, you know, drug discovery, uh, being able to look at, uh, you know, multiple, um, uh, cell structures in in both virtual and augmented reality. So there are, are you know many many companies using this technology for many different types of use cases. But I would say largely more in the industrial space around uh, you know engineering and manufacturing. Yeah, that's great. It seems like healthcare. There's there's endless uh, opportunities. Um, I mean, when do you think that this this enterprise Adoption. I mean, it's it's obviously stronger in consumer first, in your belief, or, or do you? How, how do you anticipate kind of the adoption level if you had to kind of rank consumer versus enterprise, and where where we're going to see the the, the quickest uptake? Yeah, I think the 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 most salient use cases now, you know, are certain certainly in uh, in the enterprise space, but really the the biggest driver will be when these consumer wearables start to hit the market because. The, it, it's, it's similar to mobile where, you know, you, you would have a mobile device and then you'd have your company mobile device that would, that would be sort of a one trick pony and that would be, you know, for a specific utility, even if it was for communication, it was a separate device. And until we get to that point where it's a, it's a you know, bring your own device where consumers have a real fluency with the technology, but there's also utility in their personal lives. It's, it's much harder to introduce this type of technology into a workflow, particularly in challenging environments when there's just, you know, there's a lot of reticence, you know, from, from the workforce themselves because they, you know, they run the gamut in terms of their, you know, interest and understanding of different technologies. Now the, the next generation, the sort of, you know, digital native workforce is coming in and they're demanding these tools but again, uh, the, you know, not everyone has a headset and these wearables aren't on the market yet. But once, once they become ubiquitous, and I would say we're, we're probably five years out from a really, what I would call a wearable. In other words, the magic wayfarers that you know, look like sunglasses, that look good, um, but that, that can actually display this, this layer of information. And the, the early versions will be very much 
you know, a heads up display. So it's, it's not going to be true mixed reality where you're able to really have your digital landscape interact with real objects, but it'll be what we call sort of the, the AR cloud, which will be layers of data. So you think about, you know, right now you, you look at your phone, you send a text, you get directions. Um, all of that can be displayed in your field of view with the next generation uh, wearables. But until those hit the market, and again, I think we're at least five years out before you know, there's, there's a wearable that's truly wearable, um, you know, that is going to be the biggest driver in enterprise because now you have consumers who are building their own fluency with it. They're understanding the capabilities of the technology. It has utility in their in their real lives it has you know it's, it's access to entertainment in their real lives and they're going to be it's going to be much easier for them to you know leverage that in in their in their workplace that's great um there was a, there was a question about um how do you, uh they plan to account for movement in the in, in the metaverse meaning you know walking with limited space and reality do you expect there to be a treadmill or something associated with wearables that, that helps this? Yeah, there, there's a lot of technology now that, you know, for fully um, immersive experiences. And so there are, you know, haptic suits for the kind of physical sensory piece. And there are a lot of different types of treadmills. And there's one called Omnideck. There's, there's several different versions. They're pretty cumbersome and, um, it, you know, it, it's not something that people are going to necessarily have in their homes, but, you know, this next generation of devices where there is the pass-through video, while you may not actually be, um, you know, seeing what's around you, you, there will be spatial awareness on the device. And so it will likely be able to, the, the goal is for it to be able to render you know, objects in your space in the context of the environment. So for example, if I have a, you know, I'm in an environment where I'm moving around a room and there's a, there's a table and there's a chair, they will be rendered, not necessarily as a table and a chair, they might be rendered as non-player, you know, characters, but just so I know that they're, they're physically there. Um, so there, there will be some safety mechanisms actually built into the outward facing cameras on the device. But eventually, you know, like people have game rooms and living rooms, people will, in theory, have these spaces carved out where they can, they can you know, engage with uh, virtual reality. But augmented reality and mixed reality are a much bigger market, have much bigger utility. And if you look at gaming in particular, you're going to find very specific types of games that you would do in VR. Um, and, and very specific types of experiences that wouldn't uh, require as much motion. And then you look at some of the MMOs, those will be always on outside, always available through sort of 5G and these wearables and then this kind of digital overlay. Uh, and as we get better in building out the AR cloud, which is another kind of component of the metaverse, right? It's, it's essentially multiple layers of digital information that will essentially be delivered at the edge to consumers on these devices. That will give 
you know, contextual data, whether it's you're playing a game or whether you're looking for directions or you're looking for a restaurant or you need to, you know, find your Uber. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really the, the way that we'll be able to move freely and be able to understand our environment and have this digital consistent digital overlay. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of questions uh, from investors just trying to understand kind of who's best positioned, you know, for this move. And, and when, when Facebook really pushed this on the earnings call, I think a lot of us immediately kind of went to Snap and said, mm -hmm. it seems like today a lot of what Snap is doing feels like they've got the foundation even further ahead than Facebook um, in, in a lot of areas. And I, I'm curious if, if you would agree with that on Snap and, you know, they – had brought the example of NVIDIA and others, you know, being, being in partnership. Are, are there other names that come to mind or, or maybe a list of, of, of companies that you think right now are, are, just, are just getting this right right now on, in, 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 from your side in the public market? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that I think SNAP is, is focused on a, a really sort of smart utility um, and then a, a path for brands to have really interesting um, relationships with consumers. And they're also very busy now creating their um, creator community to enable that. Um, NVIDIA is a, is, a, is a big player. Qualcomm with their XR2 chip, um, which is 5G enabled, is you know, probably another player that I think is important. I think Unity is really well positioned to... Uh, you know, certainly, certainly uh, Epic as well with Unreal Engine, but Unity was sort of founded with kind of that, that sort of scrappy indie developer. And that developer now is, you know, working either on enterprise solutions or on these sort of large, large scale gaming solutions. And, you know, both Unity and Unreal are building the toolkits that will power all of these experiences, including these um, portable identity layers, uh, and and also the facility for um, develop you know game developers uh, and any kind of experienced developer to have uh, the monetization piece. And so you know for them as the scales and this economy scales, I mean you think about. I forget the name of the Andrew Andrew um, Steinwald had had estimated that the digital economy will be ten times the physical economy because it's it's truly endless and if if you know they have the uh, you know ability and the toolkits that allow all companies to monetize in the space and they're taking a percentage of that you can imagine you can start to extrapolate how valuable that will be um, certainly Adobe and Autodesk with their their tools their 3D tools. I think will also be important players. And then of course, um, cloud and edge providers, you know, all the cloud and edge providers, because, you know, the remote rendering and the amount of compute that's required. Um, and then the multiplayer servers, like there's just a tremendous amount of service that the cloud providers can start to scale into to enable these experiences at scale. Uh, I want to turn the call over to Andrew. He's got a few questions as well, Andrew. Hey, thanks, Brent. Thanks, Amy, for, for joining us. Um, Amy, obviously, I think the um, I think you indicated that you kind of you know mixed reality is probably the 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 holy grail here. How, how do you see kind of virtual reality 
uh, lining up with kind of the augmented version, uh, you know, it, 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 as a two-horse race to, to get there. Anybody, any one of those technologies positioned better than the other right now, or how do you kind of see see that playing out and 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 the companies kind of coming at this from different directions? That's a great question. I would say that right now VR is is more accessible. Um, the technology is better. Um, you know, Quest is a really beautiful device. Um, HTC has just released their Focus 3, although they're, they just have kind of a mixed marketing strategy in that they're claiming it's an enterprise device, and yet they're talking about building um, a you know, music platform for um, you know, artists to be volumetrically captured and then do, you know, have performances for uh, their customer base. Uh, and then, you know, it's very interesting too that, that ByteDance now has kind of entered the VR realm. Um, I think it's it's actually beneficial to have a real competitor, a real sort of standalone consumer competitor to the Quest 2. And it's, it's only going to help adoption if there's more choice. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it's kind of leveraged in the social media realm. If you look at, at the way um, gaming is evolving and starting to extend into um, entertainment with, you know, Fortnite having, you know, Travis Scott, Ariana Grande, all the, and, and the same thing with, you know, TikTok and, and The Weeknd, um, that market is going to expand, I think, more quickly in the short term, but will not be as large in the long term as mixed reality. But again, the devices for mixed reality are cumbersome and very expensive. And the, the optics required for the level of fidelity for mixed reality to really work is really challenging. And Facebook and Apple both set out to you know, have a mixed reality device on the market in the next couple of years. And both of them shifted focus, again, rumors, you know, this is um, you know, kind of based on leaks and, and speculation, uh, but they, and, and of course the, the patent library, but they are shifting more towards a VR device with pass-through because that's easier to accomplish from a, from a technology standpoint. Uh, but but I, I do believe that mixed reality and this AR cloud component and this always on kind of interconnected really extensible IoT um, infrastructure is what's ultimately going to be a, a massive market. Got it. Yeah, no, it seems like field of view. I'm trying to figure out field of view, brightness and power is an equation that cannot be solved yet. Um, so it makes sense that we're seeing a shift towards VR. Um, one of the other kind of questions I had was kind of uh, around kind of the back kind of the use cases. Uh, but kind of from a different angle, um, how do you see user-generated content playing a role here? Does that does that become the primary source of of content, or do big publishers, branded consumer products do do they have a significant role here to play? They they both do. I think we're seeing a huge trend um, in user-generated content, and I think that's where. Snap has, has, has been doing a really good job. You know, Facebook has tried that with uh, Facebook Horizon. They've invited creators in. It's a pretty, um, you know, unwieldy kind of challenging environment to build in. And again, there's not 
really the user base yet because uh, Horizon was a little bit late to the party. Altspace had you know, already had a, a, you know, a fairly solid user base as well as VRChat. Uh, and then some of the older ones, uh, High Fidelity, which is now audio only, and Sansar. And Second Life is still kicking, <laughs> miraculously. Um, but, but we will definitely see um, uh, a lot of user-generated content, and you're seeing that already with NFTs. And as you know, artists start to understand the um, ways to kind of build these NFTs, I think First of all, it will help stabilize the NFT market, um, but it'll also allow uh, brands to, and, and to have a much more direct relationship with consumers. So brands can start to you know, leverage the creator market to crowdsource new designs, for example, and to create kind of a new sort of loyalty structure. Um, and I think there's some advertising models that are also starting to come out um, around that that, that uh, could, could potentially also be around user-generated content. Um, but I think the, the, the way that companies will monetize that uh, is, is allowing a platform for independent creators to start selling their goods. Uh, and that will be in games, it will be in social media. Um, people will really start to spend a lot of money on their avatars. Um, you're already seeing um, digital-only brands like the Fabricant and Tribute. Uh, you're seeing some of the, the big luxury brands. Uh, like, and Fabricant actually has a studio side, and so they work with some of the largest brands um, putting out um, very, very high-end uh, digital NFT content and fashion. And you're going to see that with every every type of good there is, right? So it won't just be skins in games. It's going to expand yeah. into having digital real estate and digital furniture. And you're going to have this entire digital environment that you will spend money on. Uh, and some of it will be, uh, you know, user generated, and some of it will be high end brands. Yeah. Now the good news so far, it looks like Gucci wear is just as expensive in the digital realm as the physical realm. Um, if, if Roblox has, uh, <laughs> it proves to be the data point. Um, I guess the last question I'll hand it back over to Brent is, is that, uh, typically we, you know, whenever we see big shifts in technology or content or, or whatnot, we typically see one or two new players emerge. When you kind of look around the private space, is anything that you think is flying on the radar that we should be paying attention to? Well, I would I would look at some of these studios that are that are building NFTs um, and and kind mm -hmm. of creating digital goods because it, the that market is so volatile right now that you know kind of great fortunes can be made overnight and you know find a stronghold. So I, I would definitely keep a, uh, an eye out on companies that are kind of building out. Um, a lot of these digital assets that are sort of smallish companies today, um, but but that have mm -hmm. some heat on them in terms of um, some. And I think fashion is one area in particular, uh, because that again is going to start to have um, utility in the digital realm as opposed to some of these NFTs. And you, know, you look at like you know CryptoKitties, and yes, there's sort of the gaming component to it. Um, but it's, it's not going to be as relevant to the non-gamer as, as some of these other digital goods like fashion. So I would definitely keep an eye on, on some of those. And I think there's going to be some new, yeah. 
I think it'll be interesting um, to see. I, I think some of the ad agencies are going to struggle as it's it, it's going to become much easier for brands to have a, a direct sort of a direct to avatar. You know, this advertising model of direct to avatar. I think it's going to be easier, especially for some of the smaller fashion brands to build relationships directly with their consumer, um, have this kind of everyone as an influencer construct where, you know, I could see um, whether it's a digital good or a, a real good on someone. And, and if, you know, they are attributed to that purchase, they can get a microtransaction uh, in cryptocurrency. It ends there so it doesn't become this like, you know, monstrous sort of Ponzi scheme that everyone tries to game. Um, so there would just be one level um, of microtransaction. Uh, but, and then, you know, someone who saw that same object of desire on me, then I would get credited for that next sale. But, you know, if you start to think about the, the billions of dollars in savings on advertising and then focusing directly to consumer and having this gated mechanism, and I tell you, the company who builds this, there's a couple of them out there that are looking at this, the company that builds the interface for consumers to manage and monetize their data, I think is um, it, it, it's going to create a completely new form of advertising and revenue streams for brands, uh, because then there's the transparency around our data. So instead of, you know, companies kind of nefariously trying to harvest our data from multiple sources, spending billions of dollars to do so, and then crafting campaigns one would argue to kind of manipulate us into purchases that could be completely blown wide open by a, a, a new interface that allows um, them to just ping us and say, Hey, we'd love these six, 10, 12 data points. We can say yes or no. It's a very simple interface. Um, there's a value assigned to that. And then I, as a consumer um, will, could get, you know, special loyalty perks or, uh, you know, ad, you know, advanced access to new goods or even be part of their, you know, designing team, right? You talk about user-generated content. Maybe I could be part of a, a team that helps design the next generation of products. Like that, we haven't even scratched the surface of what that possibilities are and what those possibilities are. So I think there's an, you know, an upside for a company that builds that. And I think there's potential downside for some of the, the big um, behemoth advertising agencies um, that are, still challenged by digital in general. Um, and then this next wave is just coming too quickly for them to be able to react uh, and, and, you know, kind of get in the way of what, you know, looks to be a much more direct, uh, you know, consumer brand relationship. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And, and I, and I, and all the research and things that we've read, we, we often don't hear that angle around the, uh, the, the advertising portion of it. So I think that's uh, in the marketing dollars. So I think that's a, a real poignant point. Um, I just, I'm going to ask one more question only because it's coming through the, um, the Q and a from, from folks on the line. Um, a couple of folks are asking one is just what's the role unity has in all of this. Um, and then secondarily, somebody wants to kind of double click on that idea and, and, and where and how and where do you see, unity uh kind of in the non-gaming space uh and how it, it could ultimately play a role here and then i'll turn it over to brand after that yeah so yeah because we think of unity as um a you know kind of a, a game engine which it is but all of these ex 
experiences are, I wouldn't say all, let's say a, a, a vast, uh, you know, proportion of all these 3D experiences are built on one of the game engines. And the two primary ones are Unreal and Unity. And then, you know, in the, in the mixed reality world, there's then PTC who have, um, you know, Creo and, and Euphoria engine. And then there are a number of smaller engines that uh, are still sort of pure play gaming. Um, but if you think about the, the scale of how 3D assets now are going to be the, they're really going to be ubiquitous. So, you know, shops will be built in 3D, you know, data will be kind of floating around us at all times, right? And Unity and Unreal both have sort of pole position on scaling into all of those aspects because again, all, almost all of these experiences are built on one of those two platforms um, to be able to, you know, enable this sort of 3D experience. And so, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of, of Unity. I've, you know, I've worked with them for, for many years, uh, you know, with, with a lot of my clients. Uh, and then Unreal has been, um, was really the lead engine for a very long time in enterprise. And it's only recently that it's, it's, you know, Unity, I would say, has become more ubiquitous in enterprise. Again, because Unity focused on that small uh, kind of indie game developer, but so many of those developers now have evolved and moved into the enterprise uh, and the DOD space. Uh, and so there's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for Unity to continue to scale. Unreal will continue to scale. Um, they have, you know, incredible, uh, you know, rendering toolkits, um, real-time rendering toolkits, both of them do. Um, so there, you know, there are two choices for, for these engines. And I think both of them will uh, see tremendous growth and success over, over the next decade. Got it. Thank you so much. I'll turn, I'll turn it over uh, to start. One of the questions, Amy, uh, we're getting too is just as these worlds come together and you're starting to interact with, you know, like you interact on Instagram with different shopping experiences, this kind of con concepts around you know, payments and in the role that maybe Bitcoin or some alternative currency would have. Uh, or, or even benefit the existing, you know, currency network. Can you can you talk to how you're thinking about the, the payment uh, ecosystem, the impact that that this will have? Yeah, I think you know it's it's interesting that I think it's ironic that we're trying to lasso cryptocurrency and kind of you know force it into the sort of you know existing physical world economic construct. And I think what the real value of cryptocurrency is, is really around this um, new notion of value where value is actually fluid and can be based on other data points than, you know, just a, just a, a, a price point, right? That's just a value based on Kind of physical market factors and you've already see, kind of seen that with nfts that that this whole value system is getting turned on its head and so 
I think that as the scales, and this may be going a little bit too far off the reservation, but you know, conceptually, what blockchain allows us to do is have, you know, kind of have our avatar as our digital identity, right? That, and it will be kind of ratified to the blockchain and we'll have kind of our public persona and our private persona. And our public persona will be kind of all of our social media posts and you know, how we want to present ourselves to the world. And then our private persona will be our private data which again, you know, I, I do see uh, um, an interface evolving to allow us to actually monetize that data uh, and also just allow permissions, you know, for, we talked about healthcare briefly, but, you know, to allow um, health providers access to certain data points, um, open up those gates and then shut them when they're no longer needed so that we're able to control that. Um, but then on the economic side, you know, looking at, um, for example, I may want, let's say I have, you know, my digital storefront and I have something I want to sell, whether it's a physical good or a digital good, I may want to take other factors into consideration in terms of how I sell it to someone. So I may sell it to one person based on their ability to pay or based on my perception that they are, um, you know, a responsible person. There's, there's a, a few companies out there sort of building these, um, I guess it's like, a, 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 you know, a, uh, credit score for, um, you know, just uh, being a good person, right? So, so I'm, uh, I'm socially responsible, I'm doing good for the planet, I'm, I'm recycling, I'm doing all of these things. So I have sort of a, a, a score in the world, and I may be as a seller motivated to take that into consideration. So there are, there's an emerging economy, I think that will change the way we think about value. But again, there's going to need to be an interface that allows consumers to sort of simply exchange with um, purveyor, any purveyor of, of a particular good, whether it's digital or physical. And again, it'll go through that um, data interface where it's like, all right, if, if you're you know, want to buy this object for less than what I'm asking. These are the data points I need to make that decision. And then based on what those data points are, I may agree to sell it to you for, for a lower price. And so it's, it's hard from an economic construct because, you know, who's modeled this out to, to understand this notion of completely fluid value systems um, where each individual object will have a different value based on the, the, only the two people in that transaction. Um, but I do think that that is what, again, sort of the promise of blockchain is in cryptocurrency and having this parallel economy in the digital landscape in particular. Again, we're already seeing that, um, that notion of value is, is not at all parallel in, in what we, how we define value in the real world. I don't know if that answered the question or muddied the water even further. <laughs> no, super helpful. I, I guess if you took a temperature check of interest um, from right now in September of 21 versus know last fall how, how would you characterize you know your in inbound uh demand from companies kind of seeking your your advice how, what what i don't know if there's a way to quantify your, your inbound exponential um and especially on the um yeah especially kind of on the capital market side um 
there's been, I mean, I've been working with a, you know, a few, a few different companies in the space and, you know, I'm sort of the redheaded stepchild for the last five years where it's just like, you know, I get sort of a cursory handful of questions about, you know, AR and VR and who the players are. And now I, I think that there's, um, there's a tremendous interest. And I think, I think, again, it's, it's this, the confluence of technologies enabling this. I think it's certainly, you know, Zuckerberg going on and talking about the metaverse and, and then, you know, releasing um, Facebook workspaces. You know, I'm not sure that's going to be a thing, but it shows their level of commitment to this, this, wor- this, net, this digital world. Um, you know, and Snap. And I think all of these companies now are really inching towards something that makes more sense to the general public. Um, And and that's, you know, of course includes investors, but it also includes consumers. And I think consumers can kind of draw a line now between where we are today and, and how they might use these wearables when they hit the market, for example. And, and, and we're seeing, really a lot more um, VR content coming out and VR experiences. And like right now, um, Burning Man is, is happening in VR. Uh, so you can go in and, you know, you can see all of these incredible, um, you know, sort of uh, digital art exhibits uh, without all the dust and, you know, chinchilla lined bikini, should you, should you happen to have one in your closet. Um, so, you know, I think that, that that's really been interesting and it's, and it's been very quick. I would say over the summer, um, inbounds have, have increased tremendously. Not just for me, but for my, for my clients as well. Yeah. Is, is your view that every industry is going to get involved in this in some, some form or fashion? I, I know there's obviously Ford leaners in on this, but it, it, mm-hmm. you can kind of brainstorm things through that. This really applies to almost every single industry. I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, no, it absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mixed reality is, is the next computing platform. So sort of spatial computing. So you're basically, we're, we're moving 3d experiences off of 2d screens and into the world. So, you know, we are moving in the next decade to, you know, an always on digital landscape where you are essentially living in the internet, it is around you all the time. So you, you, and it starts with, you know, you imagine the scale from, uh, you know, smart buildings wired into smart cities and sort of all of the infrastructure data is just one layer. And then you have all of your contextual data, like what, you know, what's here, what do I want to see? What do I need to see? And then there's entertainment. There will be, you know, living graffiti, art, brands, advertising. Everything will be all around us all the time in digital form. Uh, and this is sort of, you know, another way where, you know, I think Unity and, and then some of the cloud players will have filters on to decide what we see when um, so that, you know, there's, there's sort of a mechanism not only for intent in terms of the data that we see all around us, um, but also a mechanism for discovery for data that we don't know is around us that we may be interested in. And so there'll, there'll be a mechanism for that. But it'll be ubiquitous both in our personal and private lives in the same way that mobile evolved into, like cell phones evolved into smartphones and then became essentially 
you know, our, uh, actually the sort of the first step to the singularity, if you, if you believe in that. And then, you know, spatial computing is the evolution of mobile, uh, except we won't have uh, an actual cell phone. We'll, it'll, we'll access all of it with, through our, our wearable devices. Great, um, Amy. Really appreciate uh, your 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 thoughts. Thanks so much, and we we'll look forward to having you back on the download. And thanks everyone for joining today. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye.